This week on the Big Story Podcast, a city gripped by violence. She was killed in front of her children, broad daylight. She was 27. And to watch her, I don't know, almost 70-year-old grandmother cry over a 20-something-year-old granddaughter, the world was upside down, man. A cycle that remains unbroken. We kill one of y'all, they kill one of us. We kill one of them, they kill one of us. And I guess we was gonna just go into somebody got some sense or we was all out of people to kill. A dangerous cocktail marked by racial segregation. This is the infamous Del Mar Divide right here. Yeah. And you can see, it looks like mortgages are afraid of black people. How you doing? I'm Representative Bruce Franks. But a new future is being designed. Really, the biggest motivation was the chance to represent the community I come from, you know, and give the people something that they've been looking for that they haven't had. And hope has not given up. The changes I see now in these young men when they come through our program, and how proud they are and the accountability they take. And they talk about, hey man, I used to sell drugs. Look at me now. And this is an opportunity for somebody to say, hey man, I believe in you. Next on the Big Story Podcast. I'm Joe Zarenko, a producer here at Big Story. This week on our podcast, we're bringing you some highlights from our documentary that focuses on the U.S. city of St. Louis, Missouri. Once a major hub for industry and manufacturing, St. Louis had a thriving economy and was one of the country's largest cities. But over the decades, the population has dropped dramatically by over 50% from what it was in the 1950s. In the year 2000, black residents accounted for more than half the city's population. Del Mar Boulevard, the racial line, divides St. Louis in two. This week's episode of the Big Story Podcast is called The Red Line. Take your time, we ain't going nowhere. Hey, young man. How you doing? Fine, good to see you. Take the water for later on. Put it in your pocket. If you cannot get to Morning Star, right? Yes, sir. Take that card and call me. I'll come get you. Three nights a week, Reverend yeah. Kenneth McCoy no, walks the streets of North St. Louis, Missouri. I got you. He hands out food to the homeless, offers help to drug addicts, and counsels gang members in one of the most dangerous areas of the U.S. If anybody gets shot, it's usually on that street. It's uh, open air drug thing. He says it was one too many funerals he held for young people that pushed him out of the pulpit and onto the streets. Jennifer Dorsey, I eulogized her. She was killed in front of her children, broad daylight. She was 27. And to watch her, I don't know, almost 70-year-old grandmother cry over a 20-something-year-old granddaughter, because the world was upside down, man. We got some, you know what Narcan is? Yes, sir. 
Yeah, we got some of that. Do you know how to use it? Yes, sir. Let me, let me, uh, Dan, let's get him some of that Norcan. For McCoy, the struggle against violence and addiction in North St. Louis is personal. His own son is both a gang member and an addict. We praise you. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I saw my son one day. I walked right by him. I didn't know who he was. He had lost so much weight. And he just looked so bad. I just never thought I'd ever see him looking like that. I think sometimes that if I could help out somebody else's son, maybe somebody help out mine. You know what I mean? It's so like somebody else can come behind me and say the same thing that I've been saying to him forever. And he'll listen. I don't care where the message comes from. I just, I want him to hear it. Oh, I was fun then, man. All the houses were filled, people living in them. Lyndon Thomas, son of Reverend McCoy, grew up on Garfield Avenue in North St. Louis. That's actually my uh, childhood elementary school right there. The crazy story about going to that school, the same guys that shot me, they went there into that school with me too. Like we all grew up together and chose different sides and they're a victim. Well, we all victims, how I look at it. Summer fun at a North City park turns violent and tragic with a shooting. Well, the family of a woman killed at a playground in front of her children is speaking out. My niece was an innocent person. She got two kids behind. She got shot in the head. My son got shot in the leg. I don't know if he's going to lose his leg. My cousin got shot. My friend of the family got shot over stupidity of black people want to kill one another. And it's not right. We losing our children out here over nonsense. I was sitting right there on that bench. And next thing I know, a car coming just like that. And then, then was like the loudest gunshots I, I ever heard. Like, I just was stuck. I didn't know what to do. And my friend cried. He was linked up against her, up against this wall like this. Because uh, the, the gun, like, I guess he got hit with, like, I don't know, a cannon or something. Because literally his leg was hanging off. Like, if I would have put some force into it, I could have separated his leg from the rest of his body. That's how much it was hanging off, dangling. But he was calling my name in the middle of the shot still coming. I turned around and I came back to save my friend. And the midst of me doing that, that's where Jennifer's body was at. And I kind of froze up. Like when I walked past Jennifer's body, I was just looking at it like that, motionless. I could see like the white meats. They say she got hit in the shoulder and she got hit in the head like she was dead instantly innocent female just so happened to be walking past at the time. Just days after, Lyndon and three friends were gunned down in a car on the other side of the park. Initially, when it happened to Jennifer and Cry, like we was all mourning, you know what I'm saying, to go to her funeral, and then I get shot, you know what I'm saying? So now I'm thinking, like, I'm not going to make it to her funeral, and maybe they're going to be going to my funeral, you know what I'm saying, just a week later. I just look at it as a lot of young, dumb minds trying to prove a point and uh, get a name out on the streets that they say take credit for stuff. We kill one of y'all, they kill one of us. And we kill one of them, they kill one of us. And I guess we was going to just go into somebody got some sense or we was all out of people to kill. 
I'm saying? That's the route that it go. And just because I stopped don't mean that the hood, it's not a hood anymore in the gangs. It just kicks on to the next generation. You know what I'm saying? Like a plague or something. The so-called Del Mar Divide is a much-discussed, unofficial border that separates North St. Louis from the rest of the city. North of Del Mar Boulevard is over 90% African-American and South is 60% white. Glenn Burley from the St. Louis Equal Housing and Opportunity Council shows us a map of mortgage lending in St. Louis. This is the infamous Del Mar Divide right here. Yeah. And you can see it looks like mortgages are afraid of black people because everywhere that African-Americans live, there's virtually no mortgage activity. When we don't allow folks to buy homes, we set off this domino effect that keeps families in poverty. Over half of the, over half of the intergenerational wealth transfer in the United States goes via the home. And so we set up a system that makes it far more difficult to succeed at life if you're born black or in a black neighborhood. On average, the value of homes north of Del Mar are worth one-fourth of those to the south. Molly Metzger, a housing justice expert at Washington University in St. Louis, says city officials shoulder part of the blame. You know, the city kind of gave up on the north side. And a lot of the folks that were able to leave the north side, African-American families, did. So north of Del Mar, you have um, much higher rates of vacancy. The services, if you go, you know, just walking down the street, half the time there isn't even a sidewalk. So it's basically just a level of disinvestment and disregard for that half of our city um, that is pretty stark. In 2014, the police killing of 18-year-old Michael Brown in nearby Ferguson, Missouri, sparked outrage in the community. Later that year, at a protest following another fatal police shooting, Community activist Bruce Franks was beaten and tear gassed on camera before being arrested. To go through something like that is traumatizing, right? And you don't you don't realize that it's not normal because you see it so much and you feel it so much. And, you know, even when you see it on TV, it, it grasps you. You know, I'm a young black man with tattoos on my face. They try to put me in a lot of boxes, you know, and I usually don't fit into any of those. How you doing? I'm Representative Bruce Franks. Yes. Hey, and I'm in the wake of Ferguson, a new generation of young black leaders has emerged to challenge the status quo. We need our inner. When Michael Brown was killed, that was kind of the line in the sand. Um, and it was like, look, yeah, mate, we do need to be working on police community relationship. We need to be holding these officers accountable. So how am I going to do both of those? Franks quickly became one of the most visible figures of the protest movement. In 2016, he shocked the city after he defeated the three-term incumbent to serve in the State House of Representatives. Really, the biggest motivation was the chance to represent the community I come from, you know, and give the people something that they've been looking for that they haven't had. 
We out here to let them know, y'all gon' stop killing us. Whatever we have to do to get that point across. We gotta have a police department that directly represents the community in which they police. An 18-year-old kid um, from the Cochrane or from the Peabody is gonna feel more comfortable with me pulling them over than he is with somebody who know ain't from the community. You know, this system was built for folks that don't look like me, but I'm just not, I wasn't willing to accept that. Hope is building in Northern St. Louis as well. Remember the last time we were supposed to be working together, you just ghost on me. A lot of family stuff, a lot of pressure on me. So what's different now though? I ain't gotta worry about it. I got my own place, just trying to keep that going and just trying to go another step in that. All right, so that's what we're gonna do. Are you clean now? I'm clean. Oh, uh, I'm clean. When last time you smoked, man? That was last week. Well, you ain't gonna be clean, I'm man. Clean. See, now you both. Demetrius Johnson is a former professional football player turned businessman. He runs an all-purpose community center in North St. Louis. It provides a space free from the violence of the surrounding streets. What we try to do, you know, give people opportunities who may not have an opportunity, don't turn our back on anyone, but truly stress accountability and reliability. Those are things that we try to do here. This is a safe haven. When a parent give their kid to me, I promise you, I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure I deliver that kid back to you, safe and unarmed. Johnson's most ambitious program is to help adults with criminal records get training and find solid blue collar jobs. We have a workforce program from construction to warehouse, to hospitality, to, to chefs. We don't try to teach them the intricacies of their job. We teach them accountability of the job and responsibility of the job. How to go to work and be a, a positive man. How to listen and follow instructions. The changes I see now in these young men when they come through our program, and how proud they are and the accountability they take. And they talk about, hey man, I used to sell drugs. Look at me now. Because guess what? It's been so many times and so many people within their lives that has turned their backs on them. And this is an opportunity for somebody to say, hey man, I believe in you. Reverend McCoy and Lyndon hadn't seen each other in weeks, but agreed to sit down and speak about Lyndon's time in the gang and his struggles with drug addiction. My dad's a wonderful man. He does a lot of great things in the community, and I'm his son. So I feel like that I should at least be half of what he is. And if I feel like this, find out his son's out here gangbanging, doing drugs, then that'll be ultimate embarrassing, you know what I'm saying? And with my mom, you know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't raise me like that, so. Leonard has great potential, and he's always, well, my dad's a great man, he's a great man, he's a great man. And I just love, I love you. You know, that's, you know what I'm saying? That's my greatest honor. It's being your dad. It ain't no stupid title or nothing like that. Man, that stuff here today ain't going tomorrow. Oh, that's political. I, a bishop coming here don't like me, guess what? I'm out. But I still got you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, that stuff is real stuff. I don't trip on that stuff, Linda. You know, the greatest thing, I, 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 the greatest thing I've ever done been your dad. I was 
dressing up, getting ready to go somewhere. The day his sister called me and told me he got shot. She was screaming and crying. She said, uh, Lyndon got shot. And he's at Barnes. That's all she said. I'm driving. I'm thinking, I don't know why my child got shot in the head. You know how many, how many nightmares I've had? Just that call. Ken, Ken. And all of a sudden, I got my little boy one day. And next day, I don't have him. I can't bear getting a phone call. Somebody telling me, you're dead. I can't, I can't deal with that, man. I don't have, I, I can't. I, just, I don't. I don't know that I have enough religion for that. I really don't. I don't know that I do. These are our kids. Nobody's going to care about them if we don't care about them. The system's not going to save them. Some rich white man's not going to write a big check. The Democratic Party's not going to save them. The Republican Party. They're our kids. We have to save these young men. That's all for the Big Story Podcast this week. Our thanks to our correspondent in the field, Danny Gold. And here in our studios, our thanks to my colleagues, Caleb Lopez and Kaishu Zhao. If you want to watch the full-length documentary, please go to CGTN Now on Apple TV.